Hey there, welcome to episode 10 of Tell Me a True Crime Story. I'm your host, Holly. Thank you guys so much for being here and spending some of your day with me. I hope that you and your family are happy, healthy, and safe. In episode 9, Those Who Were Killed While Jogging, part 2, I brought you the very sad case of Molly Tibbetts out of rural Iowa. This is part three of those who were killed while jogging, and this case takes us to Queens, New York, to discuss the awful murder of Karina Vetrano. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends and family about it. Follow the podcast on social media, too. Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok are at Tell Me a True Crime Story, and Twitter is at Tell Me a TCS Pod. Also, please check out my other podcast. It's called All Available Units Respond. So far, there are three episodes on there, soon to be another. Thank you so much again for being here. I appreciate each and every one of you. Big hugs to all of you. Now, let me tell you a true crime story. Our case today takes place in Spring Creek Park in the Howard Beach neighborhood. The Howard Beach neighborhood is in the southwestern part of the borough of Queens in New York City. According to the website howardbeach.com, Howard Beach is, quote, bordered in the north by the Belt Parkway and Conduit Avenue, the south by Jamaica Bay, the east by 102nd to 104th Streets, and the west by 78th Street. Howard Beach borders the neighborhoods of Ozone Park to the north and Broad Channel to the south, end quote. And these are some demographics of Howard Beach. As far as ethnicity, almost 50% of the residents of Howard Beach are Italian-American, and the breakdown by race is 68% white, 21% Hispanic, 5% Asian, and 3% Black. According to the New York Times, Howard Beach is home to many city police and fire department employees. Median home value figures vary by website, but Niche.com states that homes in Howard Beach have a median value of around $532,000. Spring Creek Park is part of the National Park Service, and according to their website, quote, Spring Creek is a 237-acre site of undeveloped upland forest, wetland, and marsh in the Howard Beach neighborhood of Queens. This is a popular fishing area with access to the Jamaica Bay shore, end quote. Local residents refer to Spring Creek Park as, quote-unquote, the weeds, because it's full of a very tall, invasive species of reeds called phragmites, or locals also sometimes refer to the park as, quote-unquote, the Baja, because it's a dirt-filled peninsula. But in my research, I found that most locals were calling it the weeds. So 
Locals also say it's known for unsavory people hanging out there, homeless people camping there, people doing drugs there, people dumping trash there, and teenagers partying there and illegally riding ATVs. Bodies have been recovered from the park and a man hung himself in a suicide there. Now, let's go back in time six years ago to the evening of Tuesday, August 2nd, 2016. It's okay, Daddy. I'll be all right. These were Karina's last words to her dad, Phil Vetrano, before she went out the door. 30-year-old Karina Vetrano left their home at 16430 84th Street in Howard Beach, Queens, around 5 p.m. to go for a jog. Her dad usually jogged with her, but he didn't go with her that evening because he'd hurt his back. He'd told her before she left that he didn't want her jogging alone in Spring Creek Park. He and Karina often went jogging on the fire trail in the park. It's a dirt and gravel three-mile trail just wide enough for a fire truck. The very tall reeds, Phragmites, are on either side of the trail. By early evening, Phil Vetrano was getting really worried about Karina. She hadn't returned yet from her jog. He called her cell phone, but she didn't answer. He had a bad feeling. He and his daughter were especially close, and he felt she was talking to him. He immediately got off of the couch to go looking for her. Phil, a retired firefighter, called a friend who lived nearby, a police chief. The police chief called 911. Investigators pinged her cell phone and eventually located it. Not far from her cell phone, in a marshy area, 15 feet off of the jogging path, Phil Vetrano found the lifeless body of his beautiful daughter. He knew she was dead when he saw her. He screamed and wailed, and the cops that were searching nearby ran to where he was. Phil Vetrano picked up his daughter's body. The officers stopped him. They said to him, quote, Sorry, sir, you have to leave her. You have to let her go. I'm sorry, sir, you have to leave her. End quote. Karina's body had been face down on the ground when her dad found her. One of her hands was clutching a clump of grass and leaves. Her body had scrapes and bruises. Her sports bra was pulled down, exposing her breast. Her shorts and underwear were pulled off of her right leg and rolled down around her left thigh. Her sneaker was recovered several feet from her body. Senior medical examiner Dr. Margaret Preall of the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner conducted an autopsy on Karina's body about 12 hours after her murder. It showed that the 112-pound, 4-foot-11 Karina was brutally strangled, beaten, and sexually assaulted. Karina's body had multiple abrasions and contusions. She had two chipped front teeth. She had blunt impact injuries to her face and head. Her neck had linear scratches on it, probably from her own nails, as she fought to pry the hands of her murderer off of her neck. Her neck also had bruising, and there were burst blood vessels on her face. She had a, quote, large, extensive abrasion, end quote, on her right buttock. She had a laceration to her vagina. 
Her vagina and anus had bruising inside and out. The cause of her death was strangulation. Now, look into my eyes, everybody, because I'm going to address the coward. Whoever you are, whether you're one, whether you're ten, I'm going to just use singular. But I'm here to remind you, in case you don't already know, that now it's the whole entire world against you. The whole entire world knows what a pathetic, puny, weak piece of filth that you are. The whole world knows that. And soon, I know, they're all going to know your face as well. Soon, we're going to have a face to the dickless piece of garbage that you are. And above and beyond you all, you know that my daughter was a force to be reckoned with. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you motherfucker, that you will be reckoning with that force not only for the rest of your pathetic life, but for the rest of eternity as you fucking burn in hell. I guarantee you that. My daughter was a big believer of karma. And as you could see, she's magical. The whole world knows she's magical. And I guarantee you, you will pay forever. You You just heard from Kathy Vetrano, Karina's mom. She was speaking at a press conference after Karina's murder. She was initially wearing sunglasses, but removed them as she addressed her daughter's killer. Karina Ann Vetrano was born on Saturday, July 12, 1986, to Philip and Catherine Vetrano. She attended Archbishop Malloy High School, a Catholic school in Queens. She went on to earn a master's degree in speech pathology from St. John's University, a private Roman Catholic university, also in Queens. In 2013, Karina starred in a short six-minute film called The Paradox, which was based on a poem she'd written by the same name. She also had an online blog where she posted many of her poems and personal thoughts. She had thousands of followers on Instagram. She posted lots of selfies and pictures of her travels. Karina worked as a speech pathologist for children with autism and also at Vitro Restaurant and Lounge in Queens. Friends say she was gentle and sweet. Her dad said that number 11 was her favorite number and purple was her favorite color. He said that she loved cats, butterflies, rainbows, and nature. A DNA profile was created from DNA collected from Karina's neck, fingernails, and her cell phone. 
However, when the DNA profile was run through the system, no match was returned. Detectives also had surveillance footage of Karina jogging that day, but it didn't yield any clues to help in the investigation into her murder. So, how did detectives hone in on their suspect? And what ultimately led them to their suspect? Well, a Lieutenant John Russo recommended detectives try and track down a guy and possibly consider him a person of interest. But what guy? Who was he talking about? Well, Lieutenant John Russo, he lives in Howard Beach, too. He told detectives that he remembered something that happened back in May of 2016, about two months before Karina's murder. He called police about a man behaving suspiciously near his home, casing parked cars and wearing unusually heavy clothing for the warm day. Another Howard Beach resident also called police about a man loitering around their home, too. So police responded to the area and made contact with the suspiciously acting subject. The officer took down the guy's information. The officer who'd responded to that call in May of 2016 was tracked down and contacted. He was asked to look back at that date in his memo book. The suspicious acting man had been 20-year-old Channel Lewis. On Thursday, February 2, 2017, authorities went to the home of Channel Lewis in East New York, which is in the eastern section of the borough of Brooklyn. Channel Lewis consented to giving his DNA. His mom, Vita Lewis, was nearby as he was swabbed. Two days later, DNA taken from Channel Lewis matched the DNA profile from the DNA obtained from Karina's neck, fingernails, and cell phone. Channel Lewis was arrested on Saturday, February 4, 2017, for the murder of Karina Vetrano, six months after the investigation had begun. He was taken to NYPD's 107th Precinct in Queens, where he agreed to talk to investigators and confess to killing Karina. In his confession, he said that on Tuesday, August 2, 2016, he was upset about his neighbors playing music too loudly. He left his home at 576 Essex Street in East New York to blow off some steam. He walked to Spring Creek Park. He saw Karina, and when she jogged by, he grabbed her. He punched her in the face, which knocked her down. She clawed at his face, and he continued to punch her in the face five more times until she was knocked unconscious. He told authorities, quote, I beat her to let my emotions out, end quote. Investigators asked Channel Lewis if Karina screamed during the attack, and he said that she hadn't because, quote, her tooth broke, end quote, presumably from him pummeling her in the face. After he knocked Karina unconscious, he dragged her off of the trail and into the tall weeds. In his videotaped confession, he said, quote, I finished her off. I strangled her, end quote. At some point, he rinsed blood off of his hands in a puddle that was right there. Channel Lewis denied sexually assaulting Karina and said that her clothes came off of her because he dragged her. In his confession, he said that he was sorry for what he did 
and said he wanted to change his life. He asked, quote, where do we go from here? Is there a restitution program or something? End quote. He left Karina's body there, walked up the path toward home, and left Spring Creek Park through the Belt Parkway entrance. He said he'd been hoping to find some napkins to stop the bleeding on his face where he'd been scratched. When he returned home, he told his family that he'd been attacked by a group of men who had injured his hand. The day after Karina's murder, on August 3, 2016, Channel Lewis went to the hospital for the injury to his hand. His wound was described by doctors as a quote-unquote classic boxer's injury. So, who is Channel Lewis? This is a little bit of background that I found on him. Channel Lewis was born in the United States on May 2, 1996 to Richard and Vita Lewis. His parents moved to the U.S. from Jamaica in 1992. His father is a retired elementary school teacher. At the time of Karina's murder, Channel Lewis was 20 years old and unemployed. He lived with his mom, Vita Lewis, in a housing project in East New York, Brooklyn. From 2011 until he graduated in 2015, he went to Martin DePoris High School, which, according to their website, serves youths, quote, who struggle with internal and external factors beyond their control that have contributed to a failure to thrive in school, end quote. In 2011, he reportedly told his principal that he wanted to, quote, stab and kill his female classmates, end quote. Channel Lewis had never been arrested before, but did receive three tickets near the East New York entrance of Spring Creek Park dating back to 2013. His dad described him as a, quote unquote, very humble kid and said he was planning for a career in social services. His sister said he, quote, is a proud uncle to his nieces and never showed any animosity toward women, end quote. In April of 2017, Channel Lewis was indicted by a Queen's grand jury on four counts of first-degree murder, five counts of second-degree murder, two counts of first-degree aggravated sexual abuse, and two counts of first-degree sexual abuse in connection with Karina Vetrano's death. He faced life without the possibility of parole. His trial was in November of 2018. His defense team argued that his confession was coerced. A jury of seven women and five men were deadlocked after 13 hours of deliberation, and the judge declared a mistrial. Channel Lewis remained in custody until his retrial in March of 2019. On Tuesday, April 2, 2019, after five hours of deliberation, Channel Lewis was found guilty of first-degree murder, two counts of second-degree murder, and aggravated sexual abuse. On Tuesday, April 23, 2019, Channel Lewis was sentenced to life behind bars without the possibility of parole. In 2021, members of community, activist groups, and Vita Lewis, Channel Lewis's mom, delivered a petition with over 40,000 signatures on it to the Queens District Attorney's Office. The petition, on behalf of Channel Lewis, called for the DA's office to reopen Channel Lewis's case and give him a new trial. The advocacy groups alleged there was prosecutorial misconduct, 
racial profiling, a coerced confession, and the withholding of exculpatory evidence in Channel Lewis's case. Channel Lewis is now held in maximum security custody at Great Meadow Correctional Facility in Comstock, New York, about 200 miles north of New York City. His departmental identification number, or inmate number, is 19A1626. On Saturday, August 6, 2016, four days after Karina's murder, a funeral mass was held at St. Helen's Catholic Church in Howard Beach. Her mother, Kathy, read a moving poem she had written to Karina when she was a senior in high school. Her father, Phil, said of Karina in a eulogy, telling the hundreds of mourners in attendance, quote, she was my life, end quote. Where Karina's body was found, there is now a small memorial. On the ground, there's a rectangular stone with her name and a butterfly carved in it, and a plaque with a poem etched in it with butterflies around its edges. There are slate benches around the memorial arranged in a semicircle. Now, before we wrap up this episode, I'd like to talk about some safety tips for people who jog or walk, hike, or exercise outdoors in public. Don't go after dark if at all possible. But if you do have to go after dark, stay in well-lit, well-populated areas. Don't wear flashy jewelry or carry any cash with you. Go with a friend whenever possible. There's always safety in numbers. Don't wear headphones or earbuds. They are a distraction and they also keep you from hearing people approaching. Carry a whistle or a high decibel personal alarm. Use caution when approaching trees, bushes, and parked cars. Make a wide berth around them. You never know who could be hiding behind them. Keep your head up, pay attention, and be vigilant of your surroundings. Let people know where you are going and when you are expected to be back. Don't hesitate to call 911 if you feel unsafe or you see anyone or anything suspicious. Thank you so much for being here and spending some of your day with me listening to this episode. Please subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends and family about it and follow the podcast on social media. Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok are at Tell Me a True Crime Story and Twitter is at Tell Me a TCS Pod. Also, I would be so grateful if you could write a review for the podcast and give it five stars. That would help so much to grow our podcast family. Also, please check out my other podcast, All Available Units Respond. I was doing that one on a weekly basis, but I am doing too much and uh, it's just not working out. I don't like it when I can't um, keep up, you know, keep up my commitments. So I'm changing that one to biweekly every two weeks. So that one is going to be every two weeks on Friday, new episodes come out. So every other Friday. Um, but that podcast covers interesting stories in detail of disasters and catastrophes like 
structural collapses, massive fires, train derailments, and plane accidents. So if you like true crime, I think you will enjoy the stories on there. Um, If you have people in your life that are firefighters, police officers, first responders, or retired from any of those professions, I think that they would like those stories on that podcast too. Again, it's called All Available Units Respond, and it's on all platforms. So far, there are three episodes on there, and I'll be adding another episode really soon. So thank you again for being here. I truly appreciate each and every one of you. And tune in next week for episode 11 when I'll tell you another true crime story. Big hugs to all of you, and I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Bye-bye.